0: Barton Cane offers a huge variety of GSP cane. Leave the cane processing to them. Use coupon code Double Dish Rocks World for free shipping on your next Barton Cane order. www.bartoncane.com
1: Chemical City Double Reads is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH, all caps, no spaces. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at chemicalcityreads.com. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. Jackie, guess what? Luckily. It's my birthday month. It is your birthday month. I haven't <laughs> been scheming about a gift, but just to give myself a little pat, pat on the back. Last year, I did get you like the most epic present ever. You did. <laughs> I forgot what that present was. Oh, my God. You all just heard it. She just forgot what I gave her last year.
0: Oh, my oh, god! It
1: reminded me.
0: Gift-giving is not one of my love languages.
1: Uh (laughs) It it was a multi-step process. First, I had... Oh, yeah, I have it right here. Wait, wait, wait. I had to find the most perfect pictures of her dogs. They had to be endearing. They had to be characteristic. They had to be forward-facing. I then commissioned an artist to create graphic renderings of both of her dogs. And then... I took the file that I got from the artist and had it put on canvas and sent to her. And she does not even she was looking at me like, "What? What can you give me? You're too much." Oh, that was I'm real. Canceled. That was <laughs> that was not rehearsed. I'm officially canceled.
0: <laughs> oh, it was really the best gift I've ever received.
1: I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, what else have you been up to lately? Anything you're preparing for? Oh. Any fun summer performances? Oh, my goodness. Thank you for that leading question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you professionals. <laughs>
0: I have been, I've got two, I'm juggling two big projects right now. Um, I've talked before about the Quintet project that I've been doing rehearsal weekends for. I just got back from a rehearsal weekend for that. We're recording in July. That's very exciting. And then at IDRS virtual summer symposium at the end of July, so y'all have plenty of notice. My colleague Jonathan Yarrington and I have commissioned three brand new works for oboe and tenor voice. Um, and we were accepted to present those at the conference this summer. Unfortunately, uh, Jonathan is on vocal rest. So, you know, best wishes to your chords. But uh I've got this great. <laughs> Tenor Stepping In, David Walker, and uh, we've been rehearsing that, planning to record uh, in just a few days from when this episode is released. So the pieces are phenomenal and so exciting and just completely excellent. So I just, you know, I've I've been diving into some chamber music after a year and a half of no chamber music, and it's wonderful.
1: I think about a vocalist on vocal rest and I just think about like being in college and like the vocalist walking around with like these gigantic scarves around their neck. A steaming mug of tea. Yeah. And now Nalgene bottles that fit like two gallons. And... <laughs> with a notepad so they can write everything down. I'm on vocal rest.
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just, just a stage whisper. I'm on
1: vocal rest. Oh, yes. well and uh funny you mentioned idrs i am also planning uh stephanie patterson and i are doing a half recital of works for two bassoons we are doing the thea musgrave take two bassoon Duo, which is kind yes. of a trip to try to put together remotely. Yes. Uh, Chris was a gem and made us these click tracks that I guess Aww. in Pro Tools you can make click tracks that include retardandos and a tempos and accelerandos, And so he did that for us. Chris, I know that's so nice. I know he's like the best. Um, and then we're also doing a piece by Elizabeth Baker, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Elizabeth's work. But it's very, um, it seems complex in the things that it questions, which is kind of our traditional concept of sound. But she explained it to Stephanie and I that she's trying to get back to the most simple music making, which is kind of a childlike music making, and less of an emphasis on beauty and technique and all of these things that we've learned and ingrained ourselves into, and more of an emphasis on kind of joyful noise, I guess. So there are things like, uh, we cannot play traditionally. So there will never be a time like read on bassoon, and I'm blowing into it. Um, There's direct sounds. um, So maybe I'll like, tap something against my bell or there's indirect sounds. Maybe I'll, I don't know, throw a handful of popcorn kernels at my bassoon. Probably not that, but. Um, <laughs> throw them throw at Chris. He'll, <laughs> he'll be okay. Yeah. Thanks for the click track. Yeah. Uh, Uh, different like amplification processes and she's actually going to take our raw sound files and manipulate them. It's going to be like nothing I've ever played before. It's just completely stretching my brain and making me unpack all my concepts of like right and wrong and accurate and inaccurate. And the growth has been so fun and I'm super excited. So it's like two completely opposite works that were juxtaposed from across the country. Coast to coast, coast to coast. <laughs> <laughs> soon, duet extravaganza. So that I will love also it during IDRS.
0: Oh my god! I forgot to name the composers.
1: Yeah, do it. For my...
0: Okay, so it is. So it's three new works by uh, one by Josh Burrell, one by Chaiyu Shu, and one by Tanu Corbett. So anyway, I
1: didn't know you commissioned Chaiyu. Yes, I did. Oh. Oh, I put that composer on Galitza radar. So. Yeah,
0: you did. Yeah, and we, we commissioned a piece by her for Read Trio, and we played it approximately 25 times.
1: It was so good. It is. It so was good. really good. We're just not yeah. actively playing Read Trio anymore. I learned how to flutter
0: tongue, so I can, I can do it now. I can do it.
1: Okay, now she's bragging, so it's probably time to go. Big brag. But... <laughs> Again, I feel like we do this every single episode, but not t- ready to announce yet, but kind of a cryptic reference to um, Galit and I as Double dish may or may not be doing something for the IDRS conference as well. So you'll just have to. May or may not, but definitely are. Stay tuned for the details <laughs> on that.
0: Mm-hmm. You should come hang out with us on Zoom. Yes. Because sure. really, we miss seeing all of your faces at
1: live places. I mean, I do. I don't know about Jackie. I am introverted, but listen, <laughs> I do love our listeners and our, our double read community. And so, yeah, we're cooking up something fun for the virtual conference that you all don't want to miss.
0: We cannot wait to share it. And we love you and we miss you. And uh, enjoy this interview. That's all I got. Is that okay?
1: Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Specializing in the finest assortment of oboes, clarinets, bassoons, and their accessories, RDG Woodwinds serves musicians around the world. Their employees are all professional musicians who have a deep knowledge of the products that they sell rdg's repair shop has an international reputation with a combined 100 plus years of service among the five repair technicians plain and simple rdg provides excellent products and fabulous customer service visit them at rdgwoodwinds.com they look forward to working with you
0: Founded by Logan Esterling, reed design is pushing the boundaries of oboe and English horn reed making. They take the knowledge they've collected from hundreds of reeds and, with the power of machine learning, derive patterns and trends that accurately predict the characteristics of finished reeds while early in the sorting process. The result is quality reads with characteristics you can count on. Using their products will save you valuable time and let you get back to what you love, making music. Visit www.readdesign.io to learn more. That's R-E-E-D-E-S-I-G-N dot I-O. We are happy to welcome to the podcast, Tristan Rennie, artist, faculty, and residence at the University of Northern Colorado and second assistant principal bassoon with the Colorado Symphony. Welcome, Tristan.
2: Hello. I'm happy to be here. Nice to be with you both. Great to be on the double reed dish.
0: (laughs) 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 We love to begin at the beginning. So I would like to start by asking you how you came to play the bassoon.
2: Well, let's see. Um, it, it, I have to kind of give credit, I think, to my sisters. I have three sisters, two of which are older, one younger. And um, my oldest sister started playing flute. And then my next oldest sister started playing flute. So it sort of became this the, the Rennie children were going to become musicians, at least, you know, in school. So um, and, and marching band, I grew up in Texas and marching band was a big thing. And so the family was pretty involved with that. And so when it became my turn around sixth grade, I had the, you know, they had the the instrument petting zoo. And I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to play. I guess saxophone and trumpet, of course, are always the popular picks. And so that was sort of the going in on that. Um, And they tried me on flute because my sisters are pretty good on flute and I was terrible on, I couldn't get a sound. I couldn't get anything going with that. (laughs) So they pulled out the bassoon and I don't think I'd ever really probably hadn't seen one before or I wasn't particularly too familiar with it. And um, they sat me down with it and they just had me blow into it while they played like an easy scale. And I just remember, you know, the the buzzing of the reed in my mouth was was pretty unique, and the sound was kind of interesting, and um, just the size and the the shape of it was kind of a, a, a weird weird kind of instrument. And um, so I went home that night, and I actually I was sort of torn between the bassoon and euphonium, <laughs> and um, and I, I I sort of toiled about that over the, the evening. And eventually picked the bassoon just because it, it seemed like a more interesting choice. And um, that's kind of, kind of how it happened. They brought the bassoon over. I, you know, put it together, sat at the piano, uh, was fiddling around with it. And my parents uh, were able to get me lessons with uh, Jan Harper, who I recently sort of connected with on Facebook after so many years <laughs> And she got me off onto a good start uh, on bassoon, learning all the fundamentals and figuring out this kind of weird and and wacky instrument. Um, But I guess I'd always sort of been drawn to sort of the lesser played stuff, the lesser noticed things. Um, I was thinking about this last night, um, like in Boy Scouts with the Pinewood Derby. I don't know if you've heard of these things where we would, the Boy Scouts would make these, these little pinewood cars that they would race. And Ooh. that was, that was part of part of the competition. And the other part was how your, your car looked. And a lot of people would make their car look really sleek and cool and, and futuristic and stuff. And I, I was more drawn towards the sort of classic sort of style of cars. Uh, one, because it was more appealing to me, I suppose. And two, I knew less people were probably going to be, you know, submitting their cars into the classic uh, car uh, competition. So I put together (laughs) this.
0: bassoon. That's the bassoon. It's the
2: classic car. (laughs) So I remember making this Pinewood Derby car. I mean, it comes in like a block. And I know this has nothing to do with bassoon, but um, I carved it myself with a pocket knife and it looked it looked kind of bad. <laughs> uh, I painted it, you know, and it's, it didn't really look much like the car I was going for, but it got third place in the classic car competition. So that was pretty exciting. So I think that kind of cued me in like, you know, go for the the lesser played stuff that, that might be more fun. <laughs> It'll be, you know, more, more of an adventure, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I just picture you chasing your older sisters around with their flutes and your bassoon.
2: There was actually one. My little sister plays oboe, and um, there was one one Christmas where we commissioned um, a little piece for us to play as a quartet for our parents. So that was that was kind of. I think that was the last time all the Rennie children got together to play.
1: <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. Like the bond Traps. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, a, a little musical family, I suppose. But yeah. I
1: love it. So can you talk us through getting serious about the bassoon and deciding to pursue that as a career and uh, just kind of walk us through your training and educational journey?
2: So I guess it really, in terms of figuring out that that's what I wanted to do, I suppose, compared to some people, maybe a bit of a a later bloomer, um, I enjoyed bassoon. I enjoyed playing in orchestra and band in high school and was doing well at, you know, the all state stuff. Um, but for the longest time, I actually, uh, as a kid, I I really wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, I just liked animals and my dad and I would watch the old all creatures, great and small show on PBS. I don't know if you guys remember that at all or (laughs) so this, this idea of sort of being a veterinarian was, was kind of the forefront of, of what I wanted to, to pursue. And, um, I remember one summer, uh, my dad and I were, we decided to check out colleges in Texas. So we drove around all of Texas to go check out the schools for veterinary, the veterinary programs and the music program. So because I sort of try to do both. And um, and I think it went, uh, senior year rolled along. And I was doing this class, which was a pretty cool class. It was called um, clinical rotation, which is where those that were interested in medicine would go visit clinics Mm -hmm. or hospitals or, you know, what have you. And I went and visited a veterinary clinic. And um, and there's nothing against veterinarians because they do great work and we need them. And but it, it 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 wasn't really exactly what i expected i guess from watching the tv shows it wasn't like exotic you know as exotic as perhaps i thought it was a lot of you know cleaning dog dog's teeth and stuff like that and i was like oh okay stressing uh, anal
1: glands yeah you know i mean i
2: saw some i saw some interesting stuff but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um,
0: you're like i have to put my fingers where
2: <laughs> yeah and you know, I mean, animals can't tell you what's what's wrong with them, so it's a lot of investigating, kind of what's going on. And you know, no one ever brought in the cows or the goats or you know any you know this right. stuff that you saw on the show. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay, maybe 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 veterinary school isn't for me. But what about medicine? What about human medicine? Well, it turned out I just wasn't I just wasn't that smart <laughs> to go into <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I took a, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I took a, I took an AP chemistry class, and I just, I did not get it. You know, it just my brain didn't work that way, and I just, I'm right there with you. I just, oh my god, yeah, and um, not that you know that necessarily was the big sort of reason that I decided to try music, but all of that kind of combined, and then with my experiences. Like I think my junior year I got to play Tchaikovsky six at the all state orchestra, um, which was a big, kind of a big thing. And we worked with Carl St. Clair who uh, was a real pro and, you know, I was playing the solo at the beginning and he pointed out like a couple of things to me, like, well, you know, you should try this. You've got to make sure it's not sharp. If you do this, you can get fired in a real orchestra and <laughs> And it was like, whoa, this is like a a big thing. Like this opened up an entirely new kind of world for me. And I was like, I think I could kind of see myself, you know, doing this regularly. Like I like performing. um, I like playing all this music. Why not? Why not go for it? And so that's kind of how I eventually found my way to uh, pursuing it as a career. And so once that was sort of decided... It it kind of was a natural uh, pathway to check out University of Cincinnati with Bill Winstead, uh, the conservatory there. And so I was I did my undergraduate there. um, And then after that, uh, I went to the University of Michigan for my graduate degree performance degree with Richard Bean. And then from there. um, Yeah. I just sort of freelanced for a couple of years until I was able to land the position with the Colorado Symphony. So I think that's sort of the basic basic journey to where I am today. Yeah.
0: So I would love to ask you more about this process of elimination that led you to a career in the bassoon. Um, It's my experience as a teacher that a lot of students come in not or come into college college, you know, not expecting it to be so consuming and funneled, you know, know, it's a really credit heavy degree. And there's a it's really intense. And it really is um, learning a craft. And it requires so much more than just the credits that you're taking. And I find that some of some students resent that and find it a little bit off-putting like oh this is not what I signed up for (laughs) but you kind of got that out of the way before you even got to school through like oh I tried this didn't work for me I tried that didn't work for me so how does that influence how you mentor and advise your students uh, at the University of Northern Colorado?
2: I, I think a lot of that thought process certainly could be done you know, before deciding which route you're going to go. Obviously, I think I think college is is a good place to kind of you know figure things out for yourself. Um, obviously, if you have it figured out before you show up, then all the much better. But I think, as you're saying, right, once you kind of get into it, it's a whole different world. Especially coming from high school, um, sometimes that can be a bit of a shock. Um, you know, because usually it's maybe the first time a student has sort of been away from home for a, you know, a very long time uh, living on their own. And that, that in itself can, can be a bit of a a stressor. Um, And then certainly, yeah, the expectations, you know, at a music school um, might be a bit higher than they were, you know, in high school. Um, Certainly with, with, with my expectations for any bassoon student, no matter if their performance, uh, education, um, me, even a non-major, I, I have certain expectations for for my students to come in, you know, prepared on a, a weekly basis, knowing their music, um, so we can kind of work on, you know, the, the less technical aspects of things and get down to the sort of the musical aspects. Um, and sometimes that could be a little tough um, because maybe they haven't, been as pushed as much as they they have been in in college um and obviously you know the ensembles are bigger the they're taking courses in music history and music theory that perhaps maybe they've gotten a little bit of experience in high school um but i think i think for a dedicated student that that is you know really uh really going for you know their their career in music um they they'll they'll accept that challenge and they'll they'll grab it by the horns and they'll have the the motivation in themselves to to kind of keep keep that going I mean speaking from my experience going into undergraduate I I wasn't all that great in theory coming into it I certainly wasn't all that great in theory coming out of it Um, (laughs) (laughs) me too (laughs) I would say that wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't. uh, And I mean, music theory is great. I wish uh, I wish I had embraced it more back then, um, you know, to help me as a performer now. Um, But, you know, I, I, I certainly understand the struggles of suddenly being immersed in like an entirely musical environment where everything basically rotates around the music. And depending on, how the student feels sort of rotates around your, your weekly lesson. that's kind of how I felt is like, I've got these classes and I got to make sure that I keep up with those classes and keep my grades up. But it's like that weekly lesson with, with Mr. Winstead um, was sort of the, the focal point of my time at at school. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know if every student necessarily feels that same way. Um, But yeah. Actually, can I give a can I give a quick shout out to m- my other high school teacher because he was pretty influential. And I don't yeah. want to I don't want to forget to leave him out. His name is Herman Vogelstein. And um, we I, I, I live down in a, a little town called Dickinson. That's uh, in Texas. That's sort of south of Houston when I first started. And then we moved up to a, a town north of Dallas uh, called Plano. And that's when I st- started studying with uh, Mr. Vogelstein. And he was actually very helpful in, in kind of once I decided on that route to uh, to to pursue music as as a career, he was very helpful in figuring out the, you know, the, the good schools and the good teachers and, you know, getting ready for for those auditions. So big props to Mr. Vogelstein.
1: <laughs> so, um. Over the course of having this podcast, we've heard a lot from our guests about how one has to learn to audition and how that's kind of a, a specific process that everyone navigates through as they are, you know, um, pursuing an orchestral career. And so I would love to hear about your experience preparing for and auditioning for your position in the Colorado Symphony and what led up to that for you.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um... You know and an and undergraduate um, I would say at that time I was I was just learning to become a, a, a better musician a more I would say that mr. Winstead helped create well help guide me to find my true voice on the bassoon um, becoming becoming a, a, a better musician becoming a more knowledgeable musician um, and and sort of ushering me through the steps of kind of what this musical world is, is really all about. And so in, in undergraduate, I, I wasn't really doing, I didn't take any sort of professional auditions. It wasn't really on my radar at the time. I was, I was preparing for auditions for like summer festivals and other programs and stuff like that. So I got a little bit of, we would work on the orchestral excerpts, but not in a way that necessarily was meant to go win a job. Mm -hmm. um and and so when i got to grad school and i i remember when i auditioned for richard bean um you know i went and played and i don't quite remember what i played probably the mozart concerto and maybe some excerpts and stuff and he was complimentary but he was like you know if you come here we will work on you know these things that are deficiencies in your playing that that you, you need to strengthen up. Like you're doing these things well, but these things are, are things that you need to, to kind of focus on. And, and that was kind of um, that was kind of refreshing because it was like, here are my cards up front. This is what's holding you back and you're playing. And if you come here, then those are the things that we will work on. And, um, that really kind of rang true to me. Like, well, this, this might be the, a good place to come to, to kind of get this done because, you know, in two years, what am I going to be doing (laughs) outside of school? Am I going to have a job or or what's going on? Um, So when I, when I got to Michigan, that's when it started to kind of become more real. Um, And, and I do recall taking my first, uh, my first professional audition there while I was there, it was for the Naples um, Philharmonic or Naples symphony. And I didn't know what I was doing. I, (laughs) I got the packet of materials and I would go in the practice room and I would just sort of practice it. I was like, well, this stuff seems, I guess pretty good. <laughs> I guess I, I could play this. All right. Marriage of Figaro is working. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to the audition and like, you know, I didn't get anywhere. <laughs> Maybe I, I played like a couple excerpts and that was it. And I was like, wow, that was, that was uh, pretty unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so when I got back from that, um, and that might have been, I don't know, end of my first semester there, I don't quite remember, second semester. And at, at that point, I was like, you know what, this is uh, this is a whole other ballpark. This is a whole other game uh, that I'm dealing with here. And I, I need to come up with, or I need to develop a system, or I need to, you know, come up with something that'll really kind of help me focus up with these, these short little excerpts that are going to sort of define <laughs> what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And um, I re- I remembered back to my senior year at CCM and um, uh, one of the clarinetists, he was actually in, and I was in a quintet with him for four years. His name's Ralph Schiano. He now plays principal clarinet in Detroit. He also played principal in Cincinnati and he also played principal in richmond and he had like i think it was his senior year he had went went out and won a principal clarinet job which you know seemed at the time like pretty unreal like whoa you know incredible and i remember talking to him about it and he kind of laid out sort of what he did to kind of uh you know make that happen which was a a pretty pretty refined uh step-by-step process and um he actually just uh published a book with his full uh, sort of audition method. I think it's, I think it's a bit more expanded than what I remember him talking about, you know, as a, as a senior. Um, But basically his, his, what he, what he communicated to me was like, you have to be, you have to run the list multiple times a day so that you become so familiar with the excerpts, so comfortable with them. That they become just like this daily thing that um, you, you just sort of live with for you know a month or so. And so what I started doing, um, I think it was for a Milwaukee Symphony Audition. Um, there was a, it was a Christmas break coming up and the Milwaukee Symphony Audition was like after New Year's or something. And so um, I stayed in Michigan. While school was on break and I had the list and uh, Mr. Bean, let me use the uh, bassoon studio as sort of my practice studio. And um, every day I would go in there um, and i would just practice. I would, my first, uh, my first round of practice would be my fundamentals. So like all my Hertzberg scales and long tones and my Mildy scale studies and kind of getting my reads refined over that process. Um, And that would set me up, you know, a pretty good foundation for the rest of the day. It felt like my reads were working. I could get everything going. I felt like I was a good place with my fingers and air and stuff like that. And then I'd have, I'd take a break and then my next session would be like, you know, just straight up practicing, focusing on the excerpts, um, and the concert- Mozart concerto that the parts that were very sort of deficient, the, the, the excerpts that were giving me the hardest problem and focusing on the, the, the hard spots in that and, um, and and making that sort of like the, the main focus of the day. And then I take another break. And then um, later that day, I would come back and it would usually be at night. And since the school was empty, I could get into one of the uh, like recital halls or the performance spaces and i would just go and run and record the list top to bottom trying not to stop sort of putting myself in that position of you know it's a performance situation um and i'd go in and 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 run the list um and i would eventually get to a point where i would actually run the list in the morning just once once through then i do another practice session then i do the then i would run the list at, at the end of the day as well And then I would at the end of the day, I would listen to the recording and I would take notes um, as to kind of what didn't work so hot and focus on that for the next day. So I do my fundamentals and I would run the list. Then I'd practice the stuff that wasn't so great. Then at night I'd go back into one of the rehearsal halls and I would run the list again. And over the course of that, of a few weeks, like I started feeling really comfortable with the list, like nothing there, there were times when I'd go to a, an audition and there were certain excerpts that were really scary. And I was like, Oh, I hope they don't ask that excerpt. I hope that excerpt's not on the first round, you know, because <laughs> if that one shows up, then, you know, I might be in big trouble, <laughs> but I got to a point where I was like, they could ask me anything. And I feel fairly confident going in and, and playing it pretty well. Um, and, and uh, Mr. Bean was still around for that break. And, um he was nice enough to come in and sort of do a coaching uh, eric varner was at school with me at, at michigan at the same time he was doing his doctorate and so we were kind of preparing for the audition at the same time and so we we did this sort of mock audition with mr bean in one of the the rehearsal spaces and that was that was very helpful to kind of it was like one last sort of you know input <laughs> one last sort of thing before we we would uh, drive off to Milwaukee and take that audition. And so um, I went there and I I was able to get to the finals. Um, You know, they took the curtain down. I was, you know, um, and I actually wasn't really prepared to make it that far because I didn't really bring the greatest clothing, you know, with the curtain being up, you can kind of wear whatever you want. So I was wearing something I, of relaxed and then it's like oh no they're bringing the curtain down i have to play with piano and i don't have a nice shirt or i don't have nice pants so i like had to run out and buy a a shirt (laughs) 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 and and my hair was longer than this this is my pandemic haircut but my hair was was way longer than this and so i had really long hair too and uh...
0: (laughs) you're like somebody give me a hair tie i know
2: right (laughs) so um so I wasn't really, you know, I mean, I wasn't really prepared to make it all that way. Um, but I went in and and I played everything. I felt really good. I I, I didn't win, um, but I, I felt really good. I played everything kind of how I wanted to play it. Um, all the tonguing stuff worked really well. And from there, I was like, you know what? I Not that I have necessarily cracked the, you know, there's no secret to taking auditions, but For me personally, it's like I think the only way for me to feel confident going into these auditions is doing this list running thing and really hammering this practicing every day. And I mean, it's not it's it's not like a an earth shattering revelation, I suppose. (laughs) Like, oh, I have to practice to go win. (laughs) Um, But it was like, well, it's 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 the kind of practice that I was doing rather than just practicing. And so I, the the auditions that I would do well at were the ones that I would sort of follow that kind of um, regimen. The ones that I didn't do so great at, I could look back and be like, well, I didn't really, I didn't really follow my plan. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then eventually Colorado Symphony rolled around, and um, it was just, it was kind of just another audition. It's like, well, I'm going to go for this one, um, and so I was trying to do my thing and uh, came out and. I had to make some adjustments because of the altitude, the reed situation uh, from Michigan to to Denver it was a little, a little, a little tricky. But some sandpaper and things were feeling okay. And um, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, that, I know, I know. <laughs> Oboists don't have that issue. You guys don't have to.
0: No, when so we interviewed Peter Cooper. When he took the audition, he what did he say, Jackie? He got there like a week early and made like fifty reads in all kinds of different gouges and shapes. And by the end of it, one of them
1: worked. (laughs) Oh, okay, all right.
2: (laughs) Well, I didn't. I didn't come out a week early, but that's. I mean, that's a that's a great plan. If you
1: chose the elbow.
2: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I mean, that's a great plan.
0: Just a little sandpaper, and we were good to go
2: yeah Uh, no but but for this one since it was uh second slash assistant principal it was sort of a a medley of of all the greatest hits of the funnest bassoon excerpts funnest is that a the most fun bassoon (laughs) excerpts so like you know oh i gotta play the principal stuff and then i also i also have to be able to play brahms violin concerto you know um but you know uh just it it worked out i guess got to the finals uh jeffrey kahane was the conduct uh was our music director at the time he conducted me through the second movement of the uh, beethoven violin concerto i think just to make sure that i could play it in time (laughs) (laughs) um but once again i was at, at that point you know when you get in well for me personally I feel like when I when you get into the semifinals or the finals, I think the the committee knows that you can kind of navigate all this stuff particularly well in terms of technical stuff. And I'm not saying you can go in and and totally like crash and burn on an excerpt and still be okay in the semis or the finals, but I think you can kind of relax just a little bit and 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 you know play play yourself, you know play with your your true voice. Um, really try to communicate something to the the committee at that point i mean i think i think they're looking for a little bit of that i think at that point like the individuality of each of the 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 performers and um who who would fit best in in the group and it's just something you know sitting in a big hall i mean the the betcher concert hall in denver is you know a huge hall it seats like 2700 people um and it's in a round so it's kind of a it's an interesting um hall and so just getting to sit in a space like that you you don't know if you'll get the job and or if you'll ever be back so you might as well take advantage and like you know feel like the big soloist in the hall you know (laughs) And, and and play your play your piece and then see what happens so um luckily they came out and they announced my name and it was it was like whoa you know uh, all right <laughs> word up because <Bonus. laughs> <Yeah>, I, go- <laughs> I mean I've been to I've been to I've been to a fair share at that point and gotten used to them coming out and, and not calling my name and so um you know it's it's a bit of a shock to like you're hoping like oh what are they gonna say it's like watching any of these cooking competitions you know they're about to announce the winner, and then they cut to commercial, and then you're like, oh, who's the winner?
1: <laughs> and then they come back.
2: And... So um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a, a joyous, obviously a a very happy occasion. Cause then you go back, you go back to the hotel room, and you call up all your teachers, and like, oh my god. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely call your teachers before your parents.
2: That's right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It all ended up working out. But as someone who got very close several times before, you know, you were announced a winner, did you struggle with uh, frustration in or disappointment in the process?
2: Yeah, I mean, there, there certainly is that. I mean, especially getting in the finals and, and and feeling like it's just one one moment away, you know, that things could could change. Um I think earlier on it was uh, just being sort of satisfied with my performance at the auditions more than necessarily the outcome of it. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling like that, I went in and I played my best and I felt really prepared and walking away from that usually gave me, you know, the confidence and sort of the, uh, the, the good feelings like, okay, I'm on the right track. Um, I'm doing some things right. I must be. I must be doing some things that people like li- like hearing, um, and it just maybe wasn't my day or something like that. Um, you know, later on, sh- sir, sure, it got maybe a, a bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how can it not? You know, it's just yeah. it's just part of it. Um, but you just kind of have to get back up and keep doing it because that's sort of the. I mean, that's the way we do it here. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, as you got to keep going through the grind and keep putting yourself out there. And uh, and, you know, there have been times with with some self-doubt, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, why what's going on? Why didn't why didn't it happen this time or why didn't I advance and stuff like that? And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just a, a matter of putting things in perspective, you know that uh, there's not a lot of bassoon positions out there and it's gonna be a lot of competition and yeah. every year there are new bassoons coming up on the scene mm-hmm. and they're getting better and better <laughs> I mean they really are um, the younger bassoons this generation are, are doing incredible things that I wouldn't even dreamed of been you know mm-hmm. thinking I could do you know back then um, so it's uh, it's just one of those things that I think you um, if you go in, like I said, if, if you go in just trying to play your best, speak your piece, um, then there, you can find some satisfaction in that, but yeah, the audition circuit is, is rough. And, and, you know, to this day, I've taken some auditions since I've gotten in the Colorado symphony. I've been here for, um, since 2006. Um, so I've, I've gone out and and done some stuff and, you know, come close on, on some things. And, um, it's, it's tough getting back into it. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, Cause it, it's, it's not, you know, it's not slowing down. It's not waiting for you. People are out there still doing it. Um, young students have no fear. They have no inhibitions, you know, um, when me as a young student, like I didn't realize how hard this stuff was, mm-hmm. you know, until someone told me like, Oh, that's really hard. <laughs> And it's like, oh, it is really hard. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, and, uh oh. <laughs> and and then and you know, so going in and like sort of feeling like, well, I'm just playing. I'm just playing the music. I'm 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 just playing the stuff that I've been working on, and that's what it is, you know. Rather than it's like, oh, I need to play this, you know, rite of spring. at at this tempo and make sure that my high C is not sharp and make sure it's paced out well. And I got to hit the high D's and I got to make sure my grace notes aren't too fast. And, um, think about the vibrato and the tone. And, you know, I mean, like, not that that wasn't there necessarily before, but like, it's, it's more present in my brain now than it ever was as, As you know,
0: as a more fully formed musician, you almost know too much.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Knowledge can be a, a bit of a, a, you know, can kind of get in your way sometimes. But, yeah. um, you know, that's just growth. I think. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, auditions. Um, I think. I think you have to dedicate a portion of your life if if that's if that's the direction you want to go. I think at some point you have to dedicate all of. <sighs> It's, it's hard to put it this way, but you kind of have to dedicate the majority of your life to that process because someone else is <laughs> someone has made that choice and that dedication to go and make bassoon and reeds and the excerpts like they're going to be doing that all day, every day. And um, those are the people out there winning the jobs mm-hmm. and um, you can be one of them or you could not you or know, or you're not you know um so i think like i think it was that you know that christmas vacation audition bonanza <laughs> that i undertook that was that sort of opened my eyes to like okay this is this is the reality and either i'm going to ex- you know accept that and embrace it or you know i'm not and i chose to to accept it, I, I guess. So
0: yeah, I mean, it, it sounds intense and obsessive and intellectually engaging, but it does not in any stretch sound fun.
2: <laughs> well, I will say, I mean, yeah, it's not fun. And, you know, these, these days, um, if, if something were to come up, and I, I chose to go for it, I would be like, Oh, here we go again. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think, I was finding it as I was, you know, going down the stretch, you know, early on, it wasn't fun and it's not fun. I mean, it's work and it's frustrating and and it's, you have to be very honest with yourself about how things are really going. Cause I mean, you can't improve if, if you're not sort of accepting that certain aspects of your playing aren't um, where they need to be. Um, So that in itself could be a bit frustrating to sort of look in the mirror and really, ask yourself like is that is that really good enough um but that process showed me what what i did well and what i still needed to work on and was actually kind of enjoyable near the end because it felt like i could play and the bassoon and the reed and all that stuff were no longer in my way and that i was sort of singing speaking what have you through the bassoon at that point rather than this sort of inanimate object that I was, you know, trying to control and all that. Um, And not that I totally you know, I I haven't mastered it even today, (laughs) but it was like, at this point, it was like, wow, a a lot of these things have, I've, that I thought maybe were were tough, like soft attacks and um, controlled vibrato and, you know, good intonation over the course of an entire (laughs) list of of music or Mm -hmm. or good pulse and rhythm and and Brahms or something Mm -hmm. it was like wow that that stuff like used to be really hard and now it's like it's sort of now built into me so um it was it was kind of enjoyable in that sense I suppose but yes you are not wrong (laughs) it is a it is a it is a tough road to go
0: satisfying (laughs) hard
2: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um so i mean i i guess that's all i have to say about auditions
0: (laughs) (laughs) so switching gears we love to find out more about your favorite memories of past performances both the wonderful uplifting moments and perhaps the moments where you wanted the stage to swallow you up maybe (laughs) an embarrassing moment that we can all relate to would you be willing to give us some
2: something sure (laughs) well we'll we'll get the the bad news out of the way first Um, um let's see so this one was particularly embarrassing it was in high school um i was at the texas tech band camp I would go to band camp. <laughs> band camp was my summer thing. Um,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> and I—I uh, actually had won um, the concerto competition there, so I got to play the first movement of the Weber concerto with the Texas Tech Band Camp Orchestra. And um, <laughs> at, at the time, um, oh, was I, I was I still playing? I was playing on uh, a polypropylene is the the plastic bassoon the black plastic bassoon. And, um, I played the concerto and the, you know, had the bows, the applause. I went off stage and I think I came back on and I was holding my bassoon in my right hand, I guess. And then the boot just totally fell off the bassoon onto the floor after my big, my big premiere, my big performance and my bassoon falls apart on stage in front of everybody um
0: what did you do
2: i i think i just i grabbed it and just <laughs> i didn't come back on for another bow after that I, <laughs> um so that yeah that was a good reminder like okay maybe hold bassoon with both hands all the time make sure you make sure the joints are secured
1: well <laughs> um, at least it
0: didn't happen while you were playing it yeah
2: yeah that's true that's true. <laughs> So that was a fun, that was a fun cap to that performance. Um, yeah, exactly. um, so, but, you know, I mean, I was an awkward high schooler back then. So it was appropriate, you know, um, and then let's see, actually, um, for, for most memorable performance. Oh, man. Um, I mean, there's been a lot. I mean, we've had a lot of great conductors come through and, and do some really great performances. I remember one time we were doing the the planets and in Jupiter, there's the sort of the middle section where, um, you know, it, it becomes more in, in one or two uh, instead of, bum, 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 you know, um, mm-hmm. and the conductor and I forgot his name. I should probably remember that, but. He just stopped conducting. And he he had been conducting it through the rehearsals, but in the performance, he just stopped and just stood there and was just sort of watching over the orchestra as we did our thing. And 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 something about that was just really magical and uh, it was very powerful. Um, and uh, that was particularly memorable. I mean, just, just the fact of sort of the non-conducting can create a moment was, was kind of interesting to me. And then um, back in 2018, it um, was the first time that I ever got to play principal bassoon on Tchaikovsky four. Nice. <laughs> it was my, my whole career. And it took me, you know, however many years to, to finally get that opportunity. It just never popped up. Mm-hmm. Um in college or high school or whatever, and um as second slash assistant principal. I mostly play second here. Um, but it, it was a, a May concert um later in May, and we got to, we were going to be performing this at Red Rocks, which is this beautiful outdoor amphitheater here in Morrison, Colorado. And it's sort of built into these giant sort of well, they're red rocks. Um and I I was sort of, I was really nervous (laughs) because, I mean, (laughs) it was outside uh, May in in Colorado. It could still, it could still snow. It could get really cold, especially up in Morrison, which is only, you know, it's only about 20 minutes away, but even that altitude change can affect reads. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh man, we're going to be playing this outside it might be cold. My reeds might feel weird. This is the first time I get to play Chike Four. And um, so it was, it was a lot of pressure, but um, it's kind of a magical thing because when we start performing there, usually the sun is still up and over the course of the, uh, the concert, the sun starts to go down. You don't really, you don't really notice it, you know, cause you're playing and sort of in the moment. And uh, we get to the second movement and it's, it's now nighttime. And it was my, my chance to finally play this solo in context with the orchestra, something that I've worked on countless hours, many years for all these auditions. And it's, I finally get to play that, that excerpt that has been a part of my life. And I, I, I think it went well. <laughs> um, and I played it outside at Red Rocks and it was nighttime and it was beautiful and um, it felt like You know, one of those things that I finally got to sort of check off on my my list as a uh, as a bassoonist. Um, So that that was kind of cool.
1: What advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? Oh, do
2: they want a career like mine? Well, (laughs) um, man, it's uh, I would say, you know, yeah, um, this past year has been a tough year. For everybody you know and it's it's really um sort of open up a discussion about music and kind of where it's going and where it will be and what what our purpose is as musicians and i think it actually shows that music is very special um live performances are you know um are nearly unheard of now so first i would say don't be daunted by the experiences of this past year. Um, you know, high school students are, you know, probably haven't played much in band or orchestra. Everyone's taking lessons online. So like all of that, you know, right now is, is kind of makes for a really weird sort of situation. And people may ask themselves, like, why would I want to do that? Right. You know, why would I want to pursue that, that career? Um, but I think there is going to be a future. Um, I think if you, if you really love music, if, if it really speaks to you, if there's aspects about it, you don't have to be a performer. You don't have to be a teacher. You could be an administrator. You could be a thera- musical therapist. You know, there's, there's many tracks that one could pursue if you love music. Um, so my advice is I, um, if if you're looking for a career like mine, um, start start early. You know if you can get if you can get the private lessons, um, start you know start there. Um, get a good way to get reads early on. Um, listen to a lot of music, and not just classical music, but lots of music to kind of inform sort of your voice, inform your you know your personality, how how you would perform. Um, listen to a lot of non-bassoon music as well. Um, I like to sing. I mean, I'm not a good singer, but like, there was a time when I would go out and hit the karaoke bars, you know, after concerts or something. It was a nice, it was just a nice uh, alternative to you know um, than what your I was doing on the was stage. Was lovely. The what? Your oh, G- lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, you know, sing, sing, you know, develop, develop your voice without the instrument as well. Um, um, perform as much as possible, um, whatever, whatever it may be, chamber music, orchestra, band, whenever you know, if you got the instrument in your hands, you're doing something with it, you're developing your own voice, you're developing, um, you know, your relationship with the instrument. Um, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to do that if you don't have the bassoon necessarily in your hands as often as you, you do. Um, and, um, just put yourself out there. I think, um, sometimes we get afraid that like, it's not good enough, um, or, or we're not good enough or, you know, I'm not ready to go out and, and, and show myself to the world, but as performers, I mean, that's, that's what we do. And, and, um, I think you'll find that there'll be positives by putting yourself out there that people will be listening and people will hear the good things and they will remember who that bassoonist or oboist is and, and the great performance they did, you know, um, and, and that can only help you down the road. Um, so I, you know, growing up as a kid, I, I was a very, well, I still kind of am, am a shy person. I wouldn't say I'm the most outward going, um, but bassoon and performance gave me that, that outlet. I really, when I have the bassoon in my hand, I feel like, you know, I could, I could do anything. Well, not, I, there's certain things I still can't do, <laughs> but it's like with the bassoon in my hand, I feel invincible. I feel like I can go out there and and do my thing and people will notice and hopefully enjoy it. And I feel like a different person uh, than I do without the instrument. Like the bassoon is actually my voice rather than my speaking voice. Mm. Um, And that gave me the confidence, you know, to go out there and pursue my dreams and if if the bassoon in your hand gives you that confidence, gives you that ability to go out there and and and, and show the world what you got, then go for it. Because um, you know people want to hear people want to hear bassoon. They want to hear oboe. They love the double reeds. They never know what it is, but they love it. <laughs> they get them confused. But I mean, they whenever they see you know one bassoon two bas- the more bassoons the better they they always you know i w- i spent quite a few summers at aspen and we would play the bassoon band and there'd be like eight bassoons out on the you know out on the mall there and people would always stop and listen what is that what is that thing and um and it was just fun you know it's like bassoon and oboe are just fun instruments that i think um Oh, here I go. I'm rambling again. I don't, I don't know even know where I'm going with it. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, I don't know if that answered your question or, or, or it was just a string of words.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> great. <That's> great.
0: <laughs> Tristan, thank you so, so much for joining us. Can you believe it's been
2: an hour? Oh, okay. Wow. Well, if you ask me about Star Wars, I could go for another hour. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but we won't get into that. We won't get into that. I, just bassoon, just bassoon.
1: All right. So there you have it. That's the episode. <laughs> don't forget to follow us up on social media. We have so many cool things going on just beyond the episodes. We've got projects. We've got live appearances. So you don't want to miss out on any of that stuff. you got to follow us on social media and also rate and subscribe because that helps us out and helps more people hear about us. Glee, who's going to be on the next episode? Next episode, we have the honor
0: and delight of talking with Tim Goughlin, Oboist in the award winning Acropolis Reed Quintet and artist in residence in Oboe at the University of Northern Colorado. Jackie, time to end this nerd parade.
1: Go make Reeds.